The reading this morning is taken from Numbers chapter 32 and it's on page 172 of the Bible, of the Church Bibles. And um, it's verse, it's chapter 32, verses 1 to 23. The Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar, the priest, and to the leaders of the community and said, Asheroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elila, Sebam, Nebo, and Beon, the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel, are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. If we have found favour in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Moses said to the Gadites and Reubenites, Shall your countrymen go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from going over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. After they went up to the valley of Eshkol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day and he swore this oath. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of the men twenty years old or more who came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Not one except Caleb, son of Jephunai, the Kinesian, Kinesite and Joshua son of Nun for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly the Lord's anger burned against Israel and he made them wander in the desert for 40 years until the whole generation of those who had had done evil in his sight was gone and here you are a brood of sinners standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all his people in the desert and you will be the cause of their destruction. Then they came up to him and said, We would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children. But we are ready to arm ourselves and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every Israelite has received his inheritance. We will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to them, If you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you will go armed over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before him, then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel, 
and this land will be your possession before the Lord. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that his sin will find you out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to your people, to us now, as you were to the Israelites then. We ask that you would lead us as we look at your word together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we were thinking about God's grace in the face of the Israelites' disappointment, discontent, and Moses' disobedience. Everyone was tired and grumpy and thirsty. Moses was probably grieving the death of his sister Miriam. And instead of of speaking to the rock, uh, Moses Moses put himself in the place of God and he angrily uh, struck the rock. And yet water still gushed out. We saw God's grace towards his people in the wilderness. And then last week we encountered uh, Balak, the king of the Moabites, who stressed out at the Israelites travelling through his territory. And so he wants Balaam to curse them. The problem is Balaam can't curse Israel because God is protecting and blessing them. If God is for his people, who can be against them? Again, we saw God's grace towards his people in the wilderness. Now, in our passage this morning, the new generation of God's people are on the cusp of entering the promised land. After all that they've been through in the wilderness, surely now the only way is up. We've had disappointment, discontent and disobedience. And this morning we have distraction, discouragement and disunity. That's the bad news. Uh, The Reubenites and the Gadites, they get distracted. There's discouragement and the result is disunity. That's the bad news. The good news is that the mighty God who was protecting and blessing them when Balak wanted Balaam to curse them, That same God is still revealing his grace in the wilderness. So to help us understand what's going on here, I thought we might uh, do a little survey. Uh, If I sent you to the supermarket with a very specific shopping list, and once you were there, you noticed that something that was on the list, there was a different brand And it was on special offer. Uh, So let's say I'd asked you to get own brand hot cross buns. And you got to the supermarket and hot cross buns with added mixed peel were on special offer for a cheaper price than the ones I'd asked for. Would you get them? So hands up, yes. (laughs) Hands up, no. We're quite divided. This is, this is helpful for me and my sermon. Hold that illustration in your head. 
Uh, God is leading his people through the wilderness to the promised land. And they're very nearly there when the Reubenites and the Gadites get distracted. They've got very large herds and flocks and they see the lush land of Yazer and Gilead would be ideal for their livestock. That's verse 1 of uh, Numbers 32. They are content, in fact they want to settle outside the promised land. They don't want to cross into Canaan. They're meant to be following the Lord wholeheartedly and the Lord is leading them through the wilderness to the promised land and they get distracted. They see something that they think is better and they want it. So they approach Moses, Eleazar the priest and the leaders of the community to ask if they can settle there and not cross the Jordan into the promised land. And on the one hand, their case is very logical. The land's suitable for livestock, and they have livestock. It makes sense. Those of you that would come back from the supermarket with branded hot cross buns with added a mixed pill would probably make the case to me that they looked just as good, or better even, than the ones I'd asked for. And they were cheaper. It's just logical, isn't it? And it's a similar case being made here. The land looks good. It might even be better. Why cross the Jordan and go to war when we could settle here? One big exception. The decision is not for them to make. The Reubenites and the Gadites, along with all the tribes, are meant to be wholeheartedly following God together not each tribe doing its own thing. And in chapter 33, if you read on in Numbers, we're told that under God's direction, the land will be distributed by Lot. It's not for the Reubenites and the Gadites to see this lush land and say, we want to settle here. Uh, Now, before I go on, I do just want to say at this point that I wouldn't be angry at you if you presented me with a branded hot cross bun with added mixed pill because it was on offer. Just putting that out there. Uh, However, Moses is angry. The people are all meant to be following God together and the Gadites and Reubenites have decided they're going to make their own decision on where to settle. If you've been here over the past weeks and you're feeling a sense of deja vu, uh, Moses felt the same. Several decades previously, in Numbers 14, which Rob spoke on just a few weeks back, 12 spies had been sent out. And 10 of the 12, all except Caleb and Joshua, had discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. What happened then? They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Moses puts this to the Gadites and the Reubenites. Here you are standing in the place of your fathers. That's verse 14 of our passage this morning. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all, this peop- all these people in the wilderness and you will be the cause of their destruction. And we can kind of see where Moses is coming from. Last time you did this, we had 40 years in the wilderness. Do this again and we might have another 40 years in the wilderness. Distraction and discouragement has led to disunity. 
Notice the you language uh, in verse 6. Should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Verse 7. Why do you discourage them? And then verse 15. You will be their destruction. That's the language of disunity and division. It isn't rebellion. It's not all of the Israelites wanting to go back to Egypt. We've had that uh, in our sermon series. But this is division. This is disunity. What happens is Moses and the Gadites and Reubenites, they strike a deal. The Gadites and Reubenites suggest that they build pens for their livestock and cities for their women and children. Uh, They will help and then they will help uh, the rest of the Israelites to enter the promised land before returning uh, to their animals and their women and children that they've left in this lush land they've seen before uh, crossing the Jordan. So they're going to leave their animals, their women, their children here, help the Israelites go into the promised land and then they'll go back. That's the deal uh, that they strike and that's in verses 16 to 23. It may not be lush land for uh, uh, livestock, but I suspect most, if not all of us, can relate to the experience or temptation of being distracted by shiny things, whatever shiny things might be for each of us, or else quitting whilst we're ahead. Put simply, All of us, I think, are prone to the distraction and temptation of being led by our desires and our fears. The Gadites and the Reubenites desired the land of Yezer and Gilead, and they feared crossing into the promised land. There was going to be war ahead. And I can certainly relate to this. I'll just stay here where it's safe and familiar and certain and stable. I'm afraid of the unknown and the challenges and difficulties that might lie ahead. I don't know if any of you uh, relate to that. Yet the calling is to wholeheartedly follow the Lord, to wholeheartedly trust God. The Gadites and Reubenites were no longer wholeheartedly following the Lord. And the honest reality is that I too catch myself being led by my desires and my fears instead of by the Lord. And so for me, there's a big challenge in this passage this morning, uh, bad news, but there's also an even bigger encouragement, good news. So bad news and then good news. The big challenge, the thing to watch out for, for me and for you, is that distraction, discouragement and disunity can often creep in in disguise. In disguise as the logical option, as the sensible option, as the caring option. Looking out for our livestock and our families, the Gadites and Reubenites might have said. I don't know about you, but I think I expect disobedience to look bad, to be obviously wrong. Yet often rejecting God sneaks in. 
I might not have declared myself to be an atheist. You're probably pleased to know that. Uh, But I might have lacked the courage to trust God with a particular decision or to speak up in a particular situation. So that's the challenge I find in this passage. To watch out for distraction, discouragement and disunity creeping in in disguise. And I find the fact that the new generation are close to repeating the failings of the old generation a humbling reminder that we are all vulnerable. I touched on this a a little last time I was speaking. But failings in the church and failings in church leaders often happen when there's a culture of that would never happen here or that would never be me. So that's the big uh, challenge this morning, that uh, distraction, discouragement and disunity often creep in in disguise. Now for the far bigger encouragement, the thing to look forward to. We've had the thing to watch out for, now the thing to look forward to. God is faithful to his promises. The book of Numbers testifies to this, revealing God's grace in the wilderness. Even when we feel like we're on the losing side, Jesus is still Lord and he's still on his throne. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. You might be familiar with them. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's a pretty impressive list of things that can't separate us. And they're just as true for us now as they were, have been for God's people throughout history. Disappointment and despair creeps in when I live as though our current earthly existence with all its suffering and mess is all there is. When I, like the Gadites and the Reubenites, live led by my desires and fears, pursuing good enough in my own strength, despite the fact that God, in his strength, has already promised something much better. I am fulfilled and hopeful when I live in the light of my earthly journey's end. And I think that's quite countercultural, but I can only speak for myself. But I am more fulfilled and more hopeful and more joyful when I live in the light of my earthly journey's end trusting in the God who keeps his promises. We tend to serve what we desire. What unites the Israelites is wholeheartedly uh, following God together. The moment any of the tribes follow their own desires, however well-intentioned, there is disunity. Because what unites them is wholeheartedly following God together. 
what unites us as a church, what unites the church of Christ worldwide, is not uniformity, we're all wonderfully different, but it is wholeheartedly following God together, not being led by our own desires and fears, but trusting together in God's promises. And in so doing, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ, which offers freedom, hope and life to the world. It can be really easy for the local church to live in fear. Fears around money or resources, fears about our buildings, our numbers, about what people inside and outside of the church think. But time and time again, I've seen God's faithfulness as his people seek to courageously follow him. Consistently in scripture and throughout history, what leads to growth in the church is courage. It's been wholeheartedly uh, trusting and following God and not being distracted by our own desires and fears individually and corporately. The solution to a decline in church attendance, I'd like to suggest, is not to reduce the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make it more palatable. It's to reclaim that Christ is completely and utterly sufficient, because that's where hope and freedom and life are truly found, in following wholeheartedly, not settling halfway in following wholeheartedly, not settling halfway. And so my prayer this morning is that we would all have a bigger vision of who God is and that we would deepen our trust in his promises. Let's not be distracted and discouraged like the Gadites and the Reubenites who they saw lush land. Oh, it makes sense for us to settle here. And that led to disunity. Let's not be distracted and discouraged by our own desires or fears because we've lost sense, uh, lost sight of the extent of God's grace and faithfulness, of the something better that he promises over here when we trust in him. Amen.